This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in roughly 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? It's good, Bryce. I am very excited for this episode. We're bringing back a segment that we really enjoyed the first time. We got a lot of good feedback from and then we parked it for some reason. So I'm glad we're bringing it back today. We parked it because we don't really have many mates and this episode <laughs> is a mates of equity mates. We're bringing it back. The first episode was with Kip. We sat down, had a good conversation about his, I guess, foray into early stages of investing. Yep. Uh, that was a great conversation and we've been chasing our second mate who's been in finance, working in finance for a while now. For uh, We've managed to lock him down. Finally, it's been a bit of a process, but I'll let you do the introductions, Ren. All right. So today we are joined by our mate, Peter Nespal. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks, guys. So Ness is our mate from college. Yep. Uh, we went to uni together down in Canberra. Yep. And he has forged a path in finance. <laughs> Not <laughs> sure about forged. But yeah. 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 For, forging. Forging, yeah. <laughs> and specifically in the world of bonds. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So Bonds has been an, an episode, Ness, that a lot of our listeners have been asking us to do. So no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're putting a lot of eggs in this basket. <laughs> no, I think it's going to be a good conversation because Bonds is something that a lot of our listeners are interested in, but probably not invested as much in as they are stocks. So really looking to get a bit of an insight into your personal journey with Bonds. We'll explore that a bit and also, I guess, more generally around uh, your investing journey as well. Sure. So you want to kick it off? Yeah, let's kick it off. Let's uh, let's get personal before we get into bonds. <laughs> so do you want to tell us uh, a bit about your investing journey, Ness, how you got to the world of bonds and where you are today? Sure. So I, I just, we talked about, I started with you guys at uni. What did you study? Economics and law. So worked in law for about a year. Didn't love it. Wanted to get into the bad world of finance. Yeah, just applied for a job and ended up getting it. Happened to be a bond broker in Sydney who are building, sort of building a business from scratch, from the scratch up. So it's pretty exciting to be a part of their 
sort of growth story. So now I've been there about two and a half years. Business has been going about three and a half years. So yeah, as I said, we do corporate corporate bonds almost exclusively. So we don't really do government bonds, which we can talk about later. But corporate corporate debt from Australian big Australian companies, you know, your your top top one hundred, top two hundred companies, all the way down to you know startups and high yield sort of companies. And was bonds something you were particularly interested in while you were studying, or was no. it no? <laughs> per- perfectly frank, I, I knew I knew nothing about bonds. I don't think Fair. I don't think it's they're particularly they're covered particularly extensively at uni, which I thought was interesting. You, you definitely you know talk about them, but day one I, I I barely knew what a bond was. I didn't know the different types of bonds, so just had to learn on the job, which was pretty good. But yeah, it's a bit of a common theme I think in Australia. People tend to think finance and they think equities and stocks, you know, the sort of glossy things, but boring old bonds tend to be forgotten. Yeah. Well, we've done a whole podcast on that, on that thesis. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shows how much I've listened. Yeah. <laughs> Love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so Ness, were you investing at all through university? Smalls. I um, had one investment at some stage in at uni, I think maybe third or fourth year. I bought I think two thousand dollars worth of spookfish. I don't know if you, you know it. I remember a you conversation remember? about yeah. it. Yeah, and it was a, a debate with our friend Mang, who was big on on Nearmap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's won that one pretty comfortably. Yeah, yeah. Nearmap's been all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but bought spookfish, made a little bit of money. Why'd you buy it? I don't really remember. I was. It was. Uh, I read. You know, read a few articles. Was meant to be the next big thing. Thought I was. You know doing the right thing, yeah. <laughs> but you could have easily gone to zero. <laughs> I don't think there was much fundamental analysis going on. <laughs> how, how has it gone? It made money and then it got bought out. So it got, I think it, I think cause I bought some from, I got my dad to buy some as well. He, he's the one with the money. <laughs> and uh, I think he, he, he doubled. So he, he ended up doubling oh, that's it. All right. um, about five, 5k or something. But yeah, it got bought out. And then as far as I know now, it's off the market. It's, I think it's, yeah, part of some American company now. There you go. Yeah. So was that your first investment? Yeah, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure I'd open an account an account with Comsec to to buy it, so I don't think I've ever had anything else. There you go. Yeah. First investment made some money and got bought out. Pretty much, yeah. It's not bad. No, one yeah. for one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So yeah. I guess the the big theme of this episode is bonds. Yep. We we've probably touched on it briefly in the last 2 years, but we've never really gone you know, deep on it. Sure. So I think if we start at the very beginning, can you tell us what a bond is? So at a high level, a bond is an IOU. Essentially, you're giving money to a company, a government, a semi-government, and an entity, and they're agreeing to pay you interest on that on that money, you know, over a defined period of time, generally. Most of the bonds probably traded in the world of government bonds. Governments will issue, you know, seek a huge amount of money from the investing public and from institutions and the rest and agree to pay a defined interest stream over the life of that that bond. Um, so that's sort of at a high level. Uh, within that, you know, definition, there are I mean, really many, many different types of bond structures, fixed coupon bonds, you know, floating rate bonds, asset-backed securities, inflation-linked securities, in essence, they're all just an, an agreement that you lend someone some money and they'll pay you interest on that on that loan. So they seem to be a bit of an like an income sort of product. Yeah. So no, another term for the bond market is fixed income. Yeah. Um, you'll hear that used quite often. So that's 
it's a little bit misleading, I guess, because a lot of the income isn't fixed. It's as we said, it's floating. Yeah, you know, it can it can change based on the underlying benchmark rate, but fixed income is another term for the bond market. And so investors go into it with the assumption that they will be paid back their capital as well as uh, interest payments over a particular period of time. That's correct. Is it guaranteed that that's always the case? Uh, nothing's guaranteed in life. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but I like to think, and people in the market like to think that bonds are much much safer than, than other types of investments. So the only reason you won't get your money back at the end is if that government or entity defaults mm. and they'll default if they have no money, if they've become insolvent, or if they're forced to by banks or, or people higher up the capital structure than than where you might be. So yeah, it, it's not it's not guaranteed. The intent is definitely to repay you the money at the end, and there's lots of consequences if they don't, but yeah. it does happen for sure. So we touched on the different types of bonds there, and mm-hmm. I think we'll, we'll get into that. But if we start comparing them to investments that people are more familiar with, which is uh, equities. Mm-hmm. What are what are some of the key similarities and key differences for investors when you look at bonds compared to equities? Probably start with the differences before we get into the similarities, maybe. But you know, when you buy buy a stock or a share in a company, you're part owner of that company. You're entitled to the up the upside and the growth of it, but you're not guaranteed. There's no obligation on that that company to uh, give you. The dividend that you might be expecting it can be cut. It can be just not not distributed at all. They can't do that with a corp, with or with bonds in general, unless of course it's defi- they're in default. They will pay you your defined income stream. Um, if you buy a five percent bond, you'll get five percent annually for the life of that bond, unless they go into default. So it's a it's good it's good for people who are getting on in life. I think you know in Australia. With an aging population, it's, it's very good for retirees because it's a defined income stream. They know exactly what they're going to get, unless circumstances dictate that they won't get it. They'll, they'll, they'll get definitely get their their uh, defined coupon amount. Yeah, and our difference is, as we discussed, when you buy a stock, you're part owner. When you're when you buy a bond, you're a creditor. So you, you're not actually defined as a as a shareholder or a part owner. So if that company goes into default or collapses you're treated as a creditor like any other company or person that that company owes money to and you'll get paid out before equity or mm. stock equity investors mm. do. Um, so that's it's really important to be aware wary of, I guess, when you're buying stocks is to be aware of how much debt that company has because if that company goes bust, you're going to get paid out after that stack of debt. So I guess then the there's less risk because mm. you you're more likely to get paid back unless something really bad happens. Yeah. But at the same time, there's less upside because you're not a part owner in the company. So you, if the company you know goes to the moon, mm. you you just get paid back for the money you lent rather than sharing in that upside. That's right. So yeah. That's fair. Yeah. That that's right. You know, we can talk about it later. But bonds do appreciate. They get traded on the secondary market, so mm. you can still make some capital growth on that security, but it's, if a company goes skyrocketing, the bond might make a couple of percent capital growth. It won't make nearly as what equity will make. So, Ness, we have an official policy here at Equity Mates that we are jargon-free. We okay. hate jargon. Okay, so I like it. What I want to do is break down three terminologies you just used sure. so and how they all relate to each other being coupon, mm-hmm. fixed, and floating. Sure. So how, how do they all work and what do they mean? So coupon is a term, you know, just pretty unique to the fixed income space. It is 
Another word for interest, that's all it means. If you hear the word coupon, it just means whatever the interest payment is. It comes from the old days where railroads and, and governments would issue a bond and it would literally be a certificate with a whole bunch of pieces to tear off. You'd tear off one of those things, it was a coupon, like a coupon in a magazine. You'd go to the bank and you'd say, or like company, you'd say, here's my coupon and they'd pay you the no interest. Way. Yeah, so some wow. some some bonds, I think I learned this other day, there's a couple of bonds that were issued in the 70s or 80s that still have certificates where you need, where you're supposed to rip wow. off the, the coupon, go to the bank and <laughs> and actually well, hand it in. 40-year bonds or something. Yeah, they just, you know, or they're perpetual, so they might ne- they yeah, might, right. they never get called. They exist in, in perpetuity. Wow. So, yeah, if you hear coupon, think interest. There's no, absolutely no difference. It's just... just so it's a, the rate. It's the rate. It's the rate of return. It's the interest. Yeah, if it's a 5% coupon, it's a 5% you know, interest, interest rate, rate. On, yeah. on that loan. And you asked about fixed and floating. Yeah. So that's probably the two biggest types of bonds that are out there. Fixed simply means that the rate of return, or the coupon, the interest will be fixed. So it's the same amount. At generally, every, uh, every six months, fixed coupon bonds tend to pay. So every six months, you'll get the same coupon for the life of that bond. Yeah. Floating rate is based off an underlying benchmark rate. So in Australia, for the most part, bonds are priced off the BBSW or the 90-day BBSW. Three and and that, what, is, what is that? It's the rate at which the banks lend to each other. Right. So it's the 90-day, I'm not actually sure why, but that's the sort of three-month benchmark. So it's different to the official cash rate. It is, yeah. Yeah, so there's the cash rate, then there's the, the BBSW, which is the rate at the, ba- the banks lend to each other. It gets quoted and published by the ASX now. It used to be, I think, AFMA, but now it's the ASX. You know, you go into the ASX, you type in BBSW, it'll give you the breakdown of the one-month, the two-month, the three-month, I think the, the yearly, et cetera, et cetera. But, the, yeah, the important one to remember is the 90-day BBSW, and that is so a bond might be issued at – BBSW plus 2%, let's say. So that BBSW will change every so often, you know, daily generally, and the coupon will be whatever that rate was on the date of the reset plus 2%. So if the reset's tomorrow and the BBSW is 1%, you'll be 1% plus 2%, it'll be a 3%. What's more popular, fixed or floating? Uh, It's a good question. I think I think probably floating. I think the, it's more from an issuer's perspective. I think they like to have floating. It's a bit easier for them to, I guess, you know, take advantage of movements yeah. and rates and things, yeah. and and you know they can hedge. And if they you know, if they issue a fixed rate bond and rates go off a cliff in three months' time, that's obviously pretty bad for them. Mm. So they mm. they prefer to have have a you know fixed margin over the over the BBSW. Yeah, right. So we're we're getting. We're getting a lot of information on bonds, and I guess uh, one of the key things to understand is who the issuers are. Yeah. Um, so, governments obviously issue a lot of bonds, mm-hmm. and then you talked about corporate bonds as well. Yeah. What are some of the? Maybe if you just break down those two, and then are there any other key issuers that people should know about? Yeah. So it's really uh, broad. Governments are the probably, as I said, probably the biggest issuers. Um, the Australian government will issue a lot of debt itself and, you know, each state they're called semi-government. So each state, New South Wales, Queensland. How come they only get semi? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. They're, they're, they're real they're governments. They're real governments, yeah. <laughs> they they yeah. can do some things. Not, not, not really sure why, but okay. that's, that's, that's the term. So governments, semi-governments, uh, corporates, big corporates, you know, in Australia, your Telstra's, 
your Qantas, obviously your, your big four banks do a lot of issuing. A lot of their debt financing is through the bond market, all the way down to you know mid mid range sort of companies that that are pretty solid, but you know they still need money and, and they'll go to the debt markets, and then all the way again down to you know your afterpays, your up and coming sort of companies. Afterpay did a bond raise a couple of years ago, and uh, I think their coupon was or interest rate was seven and a half percent. On their on the debt that they issued, or maybe seven point two five, seven and a half, and all companies across the, the spectrum, across the industries, mining, tech, you know, healthcare, insurance, banks. What's a bigger market, the share market or the bond market globally? Definitely the bond market. Don't know the exact numbers in hand, but the the bond market's quite a bit bigger. I think we prepared for this. Hold on, I think bond market global bond market is over a hundred trillion, and then equity markets is sixty four trillion. Does that oh, sound there right? There you go. Yeah, uh, yeah, probably. Sounds about, the equities. Yeah, I, would, I thought the, the gap was a bit bigger. Yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought the bond market was like three times the size. Yeah, okay. I could, well, I could be wrong on that, but either way, bond market. Yeah, yeah, the bond market's definitely bigger. You know, when we go to bed every night, there are billions and billions of dollars being issued in the US, in mm. Europe. Companies, I wake up and go to work, and you know, it might be Coke or it might be some some big companies done another three billion dollars in cap rate, you know, debt raising mm. over in the states, and yeah, it's an insane amount of money that's mm. getting raised every day. Wow, who who raises more, governments or companies? Uh, it has to be governments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they do it so regularly and in such big volumes. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ness. Making money from bonds is a bit confusing sometimes, especially to our listeners and, and how the pricing works. You know, there's a relationship with interest rates and it's probably not as as easy to figure out compared to the pricing of a stock. Mm-hmm. So are you able to break it down between the actual price of the bond versus the yield that you receive from the bond? So you'll hear the term or well, the phrase an inverse relationship between interest rates and price with bonds. Generally, that applies to fixed income or fixed rate bonds. The idea there is if a company issues at 5%, a bond at 5%, and that, you know, the market is deemed 5% to be a, a fair interest rate for that credit risk of that company, if at the prevailing sort of interest rates, if those interest rates go up, suddenly that 5% doesn't really seem quite as good a return for that bond, for that credit risk, for that company. So the price will go down so that on the secondary market, if you were to buy that bond, the yield is has gone up. So I know it's a bit jargony, yeah. but the idea is if, if it's 5% at 100, so these bonds generally get issued at, at a par is 100, okay. so $100 per bond. Is that always the case? No, it's not always the case. It's, it's quite common. A Citibank bond that we trade a bit that's trading 25 Okay. I don't know why. That's just their part, the par value. But if it's issued at 100, the 5% coupon, interest rates go go up. The only way for that margin over interest rates for that credit risk for that company to sort of stay the same is for the price of the bond to go down yeah. in order to for the, the investing public to still get that same return over what's called the risk-free rate or the you know, the interest, the prevailing interest rates. So does that mean then if I have bought the bonds, say a five-year bond and I've bought $5,000 worth mm-hmm. at par mm-hmm. and then the interest rates go up, the value of my bond goes down. When it comes to the bond maturing in mm-hmm. five years' time, do I actually get back less capital? No. So that's that's something to uh, – it's a good question and something that I think is unique about bonds in a way is that 
as long as you're prepared to sit on the bond, sit on the holding to maturity, you, providing the company stays solvent, you'll always get your principal back. So that bond can go down to 50, can go down to 70, doesn't matter. You know, you will, if you're willing to sit on it until maturity and providing they have the, the funds at maturity to pay it back, you'll get your principal back. So it's really only relevant in the secondary market if you're a new new investor and you want to buy that bond. If interest rates go up and it's a fixed rate bond, you'll be able to buy it more cheaply. So on that, if a bond did go down to 50, mm-hmm. but you were going to get 100 back at the end, yeah. why, why aren't people jumping on them to just hold it until maturity? It's a good question, but if you see a bond go down to 70, 70 cents in the, in the dollar or 50 cents in the dollar, Generally, where there's smoke, there's fire. You've got to you've got to look and think: Is this company going to survive? Obviously, you know there might be a news story out, or they might have issued some um, annual results that show that they're struggling. You know, the bond market is, I think, probably one of the best indicators of where of a company's sort of financial position. You know, there's a lot of smart people doing a lot of research, and you know, if that if you've got institutions selling it at fifty cents of the dollar, obviously they're pretty convinced that. It's a real risk that company is going to default by the time that that bond matures, and you just won't get your money back at all. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Mm. So you wouldn't be buying Argentine bonds at the moment. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Mang might. Yeah. <laughs> For listeners uh, that aren't aware who Mang is, he's another of our mates who uh, has some wild ideas about the markets. You could say. It's obviously an interesting space bonds where there's there's definitely money to be made and there's there's a lot of money in the space. As a beginner, as you know, Bryce and I, people who are just dipping our toes in the bond market, mm-hmm. what's the best way for us to to access such a big market? I think there's there's a few things there. We've talked about the fact that the Australian experience Australian sort of investing market is pretty inexperienced with bonds and Generally, they're not well known. A lot of that is to do with the regulation around it. So we in Australia have what's called a wholesale investor and a retail investor. It's defined in the Corporations Act. Everybody who's not a wholesale investor is by definition a retail investor. So bonds get issued in Australia generally only to wholesale investors. So you have to be a wholesale investor in order to to purchase that bond. That's probably 90% of the bond market in Australia. Now, the definition of a wholesale investor is a few different definitions, but the general one is you have to have $2.5 million in assets. So Easy. Bryce is almost there. Yeah, I think you guys are well, well on your way. <laughs> Equity Mates Investing Corporation. <laughs> or or $250,000 gross annual income for the last two years. So you guys might be getting close. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, I think that's part of the reason why there's a difficulty there. So what, you know, these bonds trade in, they get issued, the big investment grade issues generally get issued in big, big ticket sizes. And then, you know, $250,000 minimum parcel size or $500,000 wow. minimum parcel size. The industry isn't really set up to for a big company like a Telstra or a big bank to issue directly to an investor, a retail investor, you know, like any of us. Um, it's just not set up that way for a whole host of reasons can speak to your local member about it if you, <laughs> if you don't agree. Will it go towards retail, do you think? No, I, I, I might. I, I don't think there's a push. I think it's strange because you could you could put every cent you've ever earned in your life into a single penny stock today, mm. wake up tomorrow and it's gone. Mm. Mm. 
But if you're you know, in the bond market, the government, for whatever reason, has made a decision that they don't want retail investors lending big sums to companies as, as debt. Crazy. Even though you know it's much safer. Yeah, it, yeah, that's it, crazy. It, there's no logic there as, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't really make sense. It, it might make sense from the company's point of view. Like they don't want to be raising massive amounts of debt in passes of $1,000. Oh, for, for sure, for sure. And they also, again, it's partly to do with the regulation. They, if they... So we've talked about wholesale bonds. They're what they're also called over-the-counter bonds. It's another term, OTC, over-the-counter. Don't exactly know the history of that, that term, but that's what they're called. The other type of bond is listed on the like, – it's ASX-listed bonds they will issue, though they're the type of bonds that retail investors can buy. If a company wants to do that, they need to issue huge PDSs. They need to do you know massive – a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of regulation that goes involved, so they're reluctant to do that, that they'll do it. I think that a lot of the banks have to do it and they have to issue sub-debt, hybrid debt, which generally gets issued on the ASX. But I think they're reluctant to do that. I'd much rather issue the wholesale. It's easier for them. There's less risk for them. Much easier. So essentially what you're saying is that as retail investors, we can't. Well, you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't be <yet. laughs> So yeah. So Earn $250,000 a year and then you can do it. <laughs> so the, sec- the, second, the second part to that, that conversation is all the bonds are listed on the ASX, which is, is a, a certain amount of bonds. As I said, banks do it a lot with hybrid-type bonds. Anyone can buy them on the ASX. They have a, a special ticker. It's, it's easy as. Other companies, that, you know, there's a lot of construction companies. Crown have one. I'm trying to think. IMF, Bentham have one. Quite a few. So how do you search for them on the ASX? Good question. I mean, they, all have, they all have a ticker. So IMFHA is an example of one. I think you'll have my head. IMFHA is a bond... You know, IMF Bentham. So that's the ticker. That's the ticker. Just search and it. It'll come up. It'll tell you the price. It's, you know, it might be $101. I'm not sure exactly. And you just buy it through your broker? Correct. Yeah. 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 So the Macquarie yeah. have a bunch out. They've Macquarie. got like uh, MGCQ. Yeah. They're Macquarie like have five, a few. Yeah. All, as I said, all the, all the major banks is BenPG, Bendigo's one. So, so let's take a step back here though. So yeah. we've used the term hybrids. Maybe let's just define that term. Sure. So what's the difference between a bond and a hybrid? It's contentious a little bit. Um, <laughs> oh, here we go. Into the meat of the discussion. Let's get some controversy going. <laughs> I remember going to this conference, one of the guys at my firm, and we, or he, he gave this big sort of presentation. And at the end, any questions at the end, this guy puts his hand up and goes, how dare you? Include a slide on hybrid bonds in a fixed income presentation. Really? You know, you know yeah. that's not true. Really? <laughs> Look at wow. this go, Hang on, mate. people take bonds seriously. Yeah, apparently, he was a you know seventy year old bloke at the Concord you know, Library or something, <laughs> passionate about his bonds. He's a purist. Yeah, yeah. but so hybrids, as the name sort of says, they're a, they're a hybrid between equity and fixed income. So a bank, generally, it's banks who issue them. They are bond-like in the sense that they have a defined income stream. You know, it'll either be fixed or floating, but there'll be a defined income stream. There'll be a coupon. You'll sit You sit above equity in the capital structure, which we can talk about after, but you sit above equity, so you get paid out. If the company goes bust, you get paid out before equity does. But the reason they're equity-like, and it gets is technical, but it's to do with the regulation, APRA regulation and other, you know, bank governing organisations around the world, they have regulations where banks have to issue a certain amount of hybrid debt that can be written off in the event of insolvency or you know if they if their capital ratios which is another technical term but that's a 
It's a term to do with how much capital adequacy they have, how much money they have in reserve. If those levels fall below a certain ratio, then hybrid debt can be treated, it gets converted into equity. It can be written off like equity, pretty much in the same position as equity. So that's why they're equity-like. But they're debt-like in the sense that they give you a defined income stream as well. Mm. So let's say in in the normal course of business, Mm -hmm. before things go wrong at a bank, Mm -hmm. you- it is debt, mm-hmm. yeah, correct. So you're not a, you're not an owner of the company, correct. And it'll be bond like in the sense that if nothing goes wrong, at the end of the day, they'll give you your money back. Yeah, or they'll pay back the debt, and in the intervening time, they'll pay you every six months or whatever it is. Yeah, that's right. But then if stuff does go wrong, mm-hmm. then it's not like debt in the fact that you're less likely to get you you will be less likely to get paid back, and they correct. may convert you to an ownership stake in the company rather than a bond, Whether, yeah. Rather than pay, pay you back, they'll convert you to equity. But obviously, but at that point, they it won't be worth money. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that, that equity is going to be almost nothing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so, some people could make the argument that hybrids. You're not really you're getting the, the worst of both worlds yeah. in, in a way. You know, you're not getting a particularly high interest rate, but you're also in a precarious position if that company goes south. But there, it, it just again, funnily enough, with the regulations, they have to be the ones that retail yeah, investors yeah, can yeah. buy most easily. So, so you can't get 90% of the market that is secure, <laughs> the but you can get the 10%, which is the worst of both worlds. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. That might be a good point to talk about, I guess, capital structure. I don't know, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, mate, go for it. Well, I mean, when companies issue, it's, it's more so companies, it's not really governments. When, when companies issue debt, that bond will be given a position in the capital structure. So it'll be generally capital structure is you know senior, senior secured, senior unsecured, subordinated, hybrids, and then equity. Kind of, you can break it down even further, but they're the, to the bigger categories. So when the bond gets issued, it's either going to be, it's going to be somewhere in that capital structure. And that capital structure is sort of the order at which creditors get paid mm. back if that company becomes, goes bust. Goes bust. Yeah. So if you're a secured, senior secured creditor, generally they're the banks. So when a, comp- a big company or a small company wants to issue a, you know, have a debt issuing program, they'll secure X amount from the banks to start off with. They have a re- revolving you know debt facility with the banks that they can tap whenever they want. Then if that company goes bust, they get paid back first. Then any you know junior debt that they issued gets paid back next. Then hybrids, and by the time you get down to hybrids and equity, if that company's got bust, you're pretty unlikely. To- yeah, yeah, yeah. They're running out of money. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So bonds can be traded on the ASX just like a stock, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of investing in companies and buying on the ASX is to find stocks that you think are going to outperform or are undervalued or or whatever it may be. What are some of the key things that you're looking for to differentiate one bond from the other? Is it purely just, I want a bond that's paying more interest than the other? Or is there, you know, what, what are some of the differences as, a, as an investor to say Macquarie is better than the Westpac one? Or um, is that even not a thing? No, it's definitely a thing. I think there's, you know, like with equity investing, there's relative value analysis that gets done. So it can happen both in the primary market and in the secondary market, relative value analysis. So if, if a company is issuing a new bond, let's just say it's a, f- a 4% bond. It's A and Z, they're issuing a 4% tier one bond. You go, you know, you could go and look at all the other tier one bonds for the major banks and they're all trading at 3.8% in, in the secondary market. You look at that new issue and you go, A and Z's almost like for like with NABs, with CBAs, 
you know, all the majors are pretty much the same. Yep. You've got a 20 basis point, you know, pre- new issue premium there if it's a 4% and the rest of the market's at 38 Great. I'm going to buy that. That's probably going to appreciate in the first month of trading to 101 to be the same, to, to get down to where the rest of the market is at. So you, you uh, kind of look at, you just, you look at, it's kind of the reverse in the sense that, you know, you look in, in stocks, you're looking when prices are, are low, you look, that, that's good relative value. But with fixed income, you're looking at where the interest rate's higher than the rest of the market. Just the numbers are intuitively the other way around. So the market prices the par value of the bond to sort of reflect the, I guess, interest rate of other bonds in it, in its tier level, if that makes sense. Sorry, say it again? So you're saying that the market will then, it will appreciate to 101 to bring that yeah, 4% correct. Yeah, down absolutely. to relative other bonds. Absolutely. It's a dynamic thing, the, the fixed income market. It's always changing, obviously, and prices are always changing. You're not going to see that much arbitrage, you know, mm-hmm. going forward. If a, if a Apple and an Apple bond, they're very much the same type of bond, if one's trading at a premium to the other, it just, it's, you know, organic. Yeah. It'll, you know, it'll, 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 price will Revert, go up, yeah. yield will go down, them. you know, yeah. It's probably worth clarifying at this point, a lot of the bond market, they're not, the, the price isn't quoted in terms of the dollar that you pay for it. The price yeah. is quoted in the, the yield or the coupon rate. That's right, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's often even broken down further in just a pure margin over the BBSW. So they'll, they'll try to keep it as simple as possible, which is a bit counterintuitive. But if you think about the risk-free rate, to say the BBSW, 90-day BBSW, whatever the margin is over that. So if, it's, if BBSW is 1%, the coupon is paying 3%, you got a 200 basis points or 2% margin over that. So like you would, in, in, a, in our dealing room, you'll go, oh, that's 200 over or that's 250 over. Right. Do you know, do, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's trying to keep a baseline so that if if – Bond A is the same as bond B, and bond A is trading at 250 over, and bond B is trading at 230 over. Suddenly, bond A looks better than bond B. Yeah. 20 basis points better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you're right. Like they, they, they're very rarely actually quoted in, in terms of price. It's generally, generally yield. Yeah. But then on the flip side, because hybrids are traded on the share market, yeah. when you're buying them, you do see them quoted at a dollar value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. so the, the other thing to be wary of is when you buy bonds on the ASX, they're all traded in at gross price, so they're the clean price or the price of the bond plus the accrued interest. So, so clar- clarify that. So accrued in. So it's another important point for your your listeners. <laughs> um, accrued in. It's a lot of jargon, but accrued interest is just the amount of interest that has been earned between coupon periods. So if you if the coupon date is, you know, 30 March and the next coupon date is 30 June and you want to buy that bond in April or May, you got to pay the investor the accrued interest uh, okay. between yeah, yeah, those yeah. For, the, for the 30 days or the 60 yeah. days between the coupon periods. So, so if we break that down really simply, if every quarter, so let's say every three months you get paid $30 from yeah. the bond. Yep. Great bond. Yeah. 0.001%. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then that means each month it's you pro rata sort of like $10. Yeah, correct. So if you're buying that two months in, yep. the investor would expect to get the, the 20 bucks because they held it for two months of that period? Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if, if, you, if you hold it and I'm trying to buy it off you, 
I'm going to pay you the, the two two out of the three months that if, if between coupon yeah. periods. Yeah. And then at the from the issuer at the end of that coupon period, I get the full coupon. Yeah. So there's no real you're not actually no one's losing out. Yeah, it's just yeah, compensating yeah. you for the. So that's why in the over the counter market, that bonds are generally quoted in clean price because it's just. It doesn't matter. Like the accreditation just doesn't really matter. No one's losing out there. You know, it's, it is making it more expensive, but you're getting it back at the end of the coupon period. Yeah, anyway. okay. So it's just like people in that over-the-counter market, just everyone sort of understands Correct. that that's the way it works. Correct. And so you you have you buy a bond for fifty thousand. You buy fifty thousand dollars worth of bonds. You understand that there will might be something on top of that, depending Correct. on when the payments happen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay, that's right. Cool. You know, what, whatever the settlement date is, it'll be between the coupon period, so you're going to be expected to pay. But for whatever reason, again, uh, on the ASX, it's quoted as gross. So when you look at the the Macquarie Hybrid we've talked about, it's going to be 101, 150, say. Yeah, but. Of that 150, a certain amount of it is going to be the accrued interest. Yeah. Between that, Do, does that mean that hybrids every three months slowly creep do. up and they then do. drop down once the payment happens Correct. and then slowly? Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you look at if you look at a graph, you should see that they'll appreciate, appreciate, appreciate up until getting close and after the X coupon date. Yep. They'll go back down to you know, and then it just starts all over pretty again. Much. Yeah. Oh, so that's because that's why like it doesn't really matter, particularly in the professional market or the wholesale market. They don't care about the accrued. They want to know what where that bond is trading at a clean. Mm. It's called a clean level. Um, you know, not uh, don't care about the accrued interest. Really. Yeah. So let's bring it back to you, Ness. Yeah. Do you own any bonds? Have you bought any through the ASX? Where does it sit in your kind of investing journey at the moment? I actually don't. Which is yeah, it's might be blasphemy in your circles, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, personally, I'm saving most of my cash for a deposit. I yeah. want to buy at some point in the next. Year or two, those not in Sydney, it's extremely expensive. Mm. It's a bit of a joke. Well, um, mate, you can come down to Melbourne. It's oh yeah, a maybe. little bit cheaper there, <laughs> marginally. <laughs> um, so that's yeah, it's probably where my head's been at at the moment. I've just got in a high interest sort of savings account, earning two and a half percent or something. Three, it was three. I think it's down to two and a half. So yeah, that, that, that's me. I was going to buy, funnily enough, a bond about a year ago that's since gone bust. So I'm oh, glad, lucky. glad I didn't. So that was, that was, that, that's a good- Wait, Are you happy to name the company or you'd rather- uh, don't have to I, I, probably, I probably won't name yeah. it, but I mean, anyone who's aware of the market in, in Australia would probably be would know it, but it was just a, a high yielding kind of unrated company and bond. It's, it went bust and the banks got paid out. The secu- you know this is why it's good to be aware of where you are in the capital structure. The banks got paid out. The secured um, creditors. So there was two bonds or three bonds. Two of them were secured, so they were higher up the capital structure. The unsecured got thirty five cents back in the dollar, <laughs> and the two secured bonds got a hundred, and the, the banks got paid out in full. So you know if your equity got completely wiped out, so yeah. if you, they were listed, and so if you were only equity, you got zero. But you know that's just a good example of. I guess if you want to take the risk of being lower in the capital structure, you want to be compensated by getting quite a you know a decent better return, something that makes up for that lower position. Yeah, yeah. And if people are interested in knowing where these bonds fit in the capital structure, is that something that's publicly available? That's a good again a good question. I don't I don't know of a single you know place that aggregates them or anything. But anytime these bonds get if they're issued on the ASX particularly. They're going to have a full PDS product disclosure statement. It's going yeah. to be like hundred, you know, hundred um, pages. Just go onto the ASX, search for 
you might have to search for the cut for the issuer rather than the actual issue. So rather than you know Ben PG, you just search for Bendigo, and you you be able to go find that you know inf- the inf- information memorandum, IM or the PDS, and it'll tell you everything about that bond. Okay. They have like they have what's called term sheets that say it's sits here. This is the this is the you know law that's governing it. New South Wales law or Victoria law, maturity date. Yeah, issue date, everything else. So, Ness, a lot of people over the last few years have been making a lot of money in bonds overseas, particularly there's been some really- Have um, they? <laughs> <laughs> big dog investors. <laughs> Do you have any investors that our listeners could sort of follow? You know, we know the buffets of the investing world for stocks, but, you know, there's some people out there who've made a lot of money on bonds and some people who just solely focus on bonds. Are there any that you could sort of recommend that come to mind? Not- Aside from yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I, I don't know. I think the guy, the, the Pim, Pimco guy, is he Bill, Bill Gross? No. I don't know. Yeah, look, to, to be honest, it's not, it's not something that I like, I don't tend to, you know, read probably as much as I should maybe widely on some of these big names. You can go into the AFR. You know, there's always pretty technical things in the AFR that are, that are being written about, you know, the bond market in Australia in particular. Um, Bloomberg's always a good source. You can go Bloomberg fixed income page and then there's just there's always articles and things by them. That's probably my my homework and next step, step, <laughs> step in my career is to take the initiative to go and read, you know, some of these guys who made a heap of money out of it. Cause is Bond something you reckon you'll stay in? I'd like to, yeah. I, I like, I think it's a bit of a, often a lead indicator as well for the wider economy. Mm. Again, because because creditors tend to, I don't know. I'm not going to say they're smarter, but it's a lot of times it's the banks who you know the smartest people in the markets. These people at the banks and investment banks, they're lending money. They don't lend money to companies they don't know no information on. So when those, you know, when those markets, when those bonds trade down, you know, there's generally something there. Um, I think that's a lead indicator for the equity market. Sometimes the equity market can react to that. You know, a lot of our equity markets is based off. You know, the US treasuries and, and government sort of bonds. So I think there's a lot of lot of interesting stuff there. Um, it's a bigger market, a lot of opportunities. Mm. So we're, we're creeping towards a question there that a lot of listeners are asking us and has obviously been very topical at the moment. Mm. So talking about bonds being lead indicators mm. uh, and especially US bonds being lead indicators, yield curve inversion has happened and mm. I guess a lot of people – who aren't familiar with the bond market probably don't understand what that means just technically in terms of what the yield curve is and what it inverting actually means mm. and then what it means for the broader market. Mm-hmm. So do you want to help uh, help us understand what, what the hell's going on? I can try. <laughs> Might help me understand what's going on. <laughs> um, yeah, so you mean yield curve is just a term to describe the return on a particular entity's debt across time. So to break that down further, US government will issue debt with varying maturities, you know, two two year two year maturities, one year maturities, three year maturities, ten year maturities. Company will issue debt with two year maturities, five year maturities. You know, they'll they'll build a curve out with very with where that debt is maturing across, you know, ten years or twenty years or thirty years. Typically with on the basis of time value of money and just the idea that if you give someone money for a longer period of time, there's more risk that you won't get it back. Generally, it should be an upward sloping 
yield curve when you build it out. So the company's debt or government's debt at two years, we're paying less interest than at five years, than at 10 years, than at 20 years. So if someone wants to sit down with a bit of pen and paper, they can actually draw <laughs> draw a curve, you know, yield and, and time on the X and Y axes. What's happened recently is that's inverted. So the yield on the US, you know, 10-year debt is lower than the yield on their shorter term debt. So te- that generally means that if you want to invest in a, in a US treasury at two years, you're going to get a better return than if you want to invest at 10 years. And that is typically an indicator that we're in a bit of trouble because if you think about it, that, that's the market setting a signal that they think that the US economy is going to be in a worse sort of state with lower inflation and you know just less growth in 10 years than in – or eight years than in, in two or three years. Yeah. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, I think it makes sense. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and this this has been an indicator that what since the mid nineteen hundreds has reliably reliably predicted uh, trouble in the equity markets. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, and if you, uh, we've talked about before that things get priced off the ten year a lot of the time that the, the U.S. Treasuries. So if you look at bonds that are. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Got a 10-year maturity in Australia. They'll have come down in yield compared to the US, just off the basis of the US 10-year coming down so much. Mm. Yeah. So it sort of flows on to the rest of the world. So so in a similar way that the Australian equity, like the Australian share market is very reactive to what happens in the US share market, you're saying the Australian bond market similarly follows the US bond market? Abs- yeah, absolutely. Like you look at um, our bond futures and if I come into work the next morning, they will have reacted quite you know, quite aggressively, generally, to whatever has happened in the US yeah. treasuries the night before. And so, that, that flows into, you know, our equity markets and also just the general corporate bond market. So I think there's there's one other topic I want to touch on quickly because... Controversial? Yeah, not that con- <laughs> Or maybe. It depends how controversial you make it. So I guess we spoke about people, retail investors accessing the market and we can't access m- the majority of the bond market because we're not wholesale investors. Yeah. There are a lot of bond and fixed income ETFs mm-hmm. springing up. Yeah. How does that fit into the picture and wh- what are your thoughts on them as a way to access uh, this market? I'm, I'm kind of for them. I've, I don't really see an issue, an issue with them at all. I think in the same way that ETFs can be good for, I don't know what your position is, but ETFs can be good in the equity markets. They can be similarly as good in the fixed income space, purely because it's very hard to know which bonds are good bonds, you know, 
am I over, overweight this type of bond in this capital structure? And you can outsource that to, you know, an ETF manager. Yeah, I mean, I think I, mean, I think there are a way to access it as well, rather than necessarily go into a, you know, a locked up kind of fixed income fund where you got to part with your cash for X amount of time. You know, you can if they're exchange traded, you can always get out. You know, if you want, there's good good liquidity there. Yeah, and none of the stuff we've spoken about today changes when when it's in an ETF structure. You know, you still get paid your coupon and all that. Yeah, yeah. So well. Think so. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not actually. You know, I haven't. I've never invested in, in a bond ETF myself, and we, we don't offer them throughout our business. But I believe they would just issue a distribution based on. It, it might be a net distribution rather than. So the, the way our business works is it's direct bond ownership. So again, it's only for wholesale investors. But if you buy that bond, you buy that bond in Telstra. You own that Telstra separate to – you're not in any fund. You're not in any, you know, anything like that. You just own that bond. It's held in a custodian. And every time that, that bond pays a coupon, you get that interest payment. You know, if you if you hold if you hold it in, in an ETF, I'm not actually sure. You might, it might end up being more of a, a net payment. So you get a, a, a quarterly distribution of all your – all those coupons. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. Well, I think it's been a good exploration of bonds in layman's terms. I think um, <laughs> I've certainly learnt way more than I knew about bonds before we started. So thanks, Ness Pal. Um, we're not going to reveal who you work for. <laughs> but no, I think um, it's surprising that, you know, it's not as accessible to retailers, investors as, as I thought it was, to be honest. Yeah. I thought um, mm. we had much more access to the market. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, it'd be interesting to see how that sort of plays out over I maybe maybe we'll years. use Equity Mates as a lobbying platform to <laughs> yeah. get ScoMo to change the rules. I could see, yeah. I mean, I could definitely see it changing. We've we've talked about there's just it doesn't make a lot of sense that you can put all your money yeah. into a penny stock and it's next to impossible to buy the debt of absolute AAA rated yeah, Aussie yeah. companies. Careful, ScoMo will make penny stocks only for wholesale investors. <laughs> Ness, there's three questions that we always end our interviews with when we're speaking with uh, expert investors like yourself. Um, I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, there's no curveballs. I don't think Ren's thrown any curveballs in there this time. So um, the first question that we always like to ask is what books do you consider must-reads? Now, I know you're an avid reader, so investing or otherwise, we're just like uh, putting them up on our website so that all our listeners can sort of head there and see what our interviewers ease like watching, listening, reading. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apart from the Rabbitohs Road to 21. I actually read Buffettology. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was really well done. Yep. For Bond, bond traders, Lars Poker was... I think that's if you're actually interested in the bond market, that's a really good education of how you know it operates, how it used to operate. I think a lot has changed. Some of that jungle sort of eighties stuff seriously rogue has cleaned up. But I, I, I'm telling you, it's not. You know, it's still some of it still exists. Yeah, okay. It's still it's still a bit of a jungle. Um, some of the dealing rooms, or the one you know, the one that I work at. <laughs> but um, Ness Ness is going to write liars pokers too. <laughs> No, but, um, yeah. Li- liars backgammon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess they're yeah, probably the main two. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, yeah. I, I, as I said before, I probably need to do some more more reading on the history of the market and some of these billionaires who've done well out mm-hmm. of it, kind of learn from their wisdom. 
So second question, what's your go-to source for investing information? Well, I mean, I'm lucky enough to work for a broking firm that has a research team. So, you know, I get I get a lot of stuff, you know, sent to me via email. We have our own in-house sort of research and then I get I'm on a lot of automated stuff from, you know, the big bank, CBA. And so I get a heap of stuff sent every day, which is good Contact for me. Contact at Equity Mates is the one to forward it through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not actually sure I can, you? unless you guys are wholesale investors. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, 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 we are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my big takeaway from this interview is we just need to be wholesale investors. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, otherwise, I always think Bloomberg's pretty good. Bloomberg Terminal at, at our work, which is really expensive, so don't I think, go and buy it. But I yeah. think part of this journey on Equity Mates, I need to see what a Bloomberg Terminal is because yeah. yeah. you hear so much about it and everyone is like, they're great, they're just they're they're unbelievable. Come in, seriously. You can come into our office one time. Am I allowed to as not as not being a wholesale investor? <laughs> we can we're, do a we're trial. wholesale <laughs> investors. Just say we're just wholesale. Wear, yeah. wear, a, wear a nice suit. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, can't, um, yeah, I'll, I'll chat about it with the boss, but I'm sure I'll be fine right. coming. Is that an open invite to all of our listeners as well? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, do it, we'll do an excursion. Sorry, mate. (laughs) But yeah, Bloomberg's good. It's a constant stream of information. Like you Mm. you look, you sit at your desk and you do all the traders will put their trades through. But down the bottom, it's just every two seconds, there's more and more information. Anytime anything happens, it's on Bloomberg in under a second. So Mm -hmm. it's just constant information flow. Wow. And then looking, I mean, we're not. You know, well and truly down the track of our investing journey, still uh, on the young side of life. Hopefully, people <laughs> see it that way. But looking back to when you made that investment, very first investment in uni, <laughs> two grand or whatever it was, I mean, is there anything that you would do differently or that you'd sort of tell yourself back then? Would you be investing more or, you know, is there any sort of advice you'd give yourself to that sort of what, 10 year ago, Peter Nespal? Well, it's scary to think it's oh, 10, no. 10 years ago. <laughs> um, oh, look, I think. I, I'm a bit of probably a conservative investor mostly. I'm pretty, as I said before, pretty keen to get into the property market and so I think I'm saving a lot of my money. But I think, yeah, advice to myself, probably just have a go. You know, I think 10 years ago if you had bought the, particularly after the GFC and just when we were at uni, you put a 1000 bucks away every semester or whatever it might be, you could easily build up a you know, mm. twenty or $30,000 investment portfolio mm, um, that will mm. just keep growing, keep mm. compounding, which is awesome. Probably the next step for me, yeah, is just to start building, actually build up a share portfolio yeah, and, nice. and, and some bonds. I mean, bonds are bonds are great. They're better for people older on in, you know, later on in life. Yeah. You know, if you're 60 or 70 and you have a huge proportion of your investment portfolio in stocks and you get wiped out, there's far less time to, to build that back up for your – enjoy your retirement. So you want to be conservative. You want to have larger amounts, but earning four or five percent or six percent in a bond portfolio rather than punting, you know, stocks at mm. seventy. Mm. So that's that's my take at least. Lucky we've got some time yeah, until we're there. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> we've got time to become wholesale investors. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
Well, Ness, thanks for joining us on our second episode of Mates of Equity Mates. As we said, a long time coming, but I think it's been an awesome conversation. Great insight into all things bonds. It's been something that our listeners have really wanted to get more of an understanding about, and you've certainly pulled back the curtains on a lot of the questions that they've wanted to know. And particularly, I think Ren and I have been able to get a lot out of your knowledge. So for someone who knew nothing about bonds two and a half years ago, (laughs) you're doing pretty well. Thanks, thanks, mate. Happy to come back and get more technical another time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, how about 10 a.m. next week? <laughs> Sunday morning, guys. You know? <laughs> You're lucky you got me. <laughs> no, I really appreciate it, bro. Yeah, Thanks no for worries. coming on. Yeah, cheers. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how they pertain to your individual situation. Equity mates. 